Welcome to this podcast by The Rocks Church. We hope you find it challenging and inspiring. For more information, visit therocks.church. Once upon a time, there was a, a man who was traveling along with his buddy, with his mate, when he stumbled upon a genie in a bottle. And so out the genie comes and he says to the man, I will grant you one wish. And you can choose from one of two options. You can either be the richest man in the world or you can be the wisest man in the world. And the man thinks about it for a second and he says, I want to be the wisest man in the world. And poof, just like that, the genie goes and suddenly the man's face changed. He looks very wise. And his friend who was right there all along witnessing the whole thing says, I can't believe it. Now you're the wisest man in the world. Let's test it. Say something wise. Say something wise. And the man rubs his chin and says, all right, I should have taken the money. <laughs> well, we are in the second part of our series called The Way of the Wise. And Tim Healy kicked off this amazing series by talking about wisdom and your integrity. If you missed that, I encourage you to go to our YouTube channel and watch it because it was super, super powerful. And today, as we continue this series, I want to talk about wisdom and your wealth. And some of you think, that's why I don't come to church. You just talk about money all the time. You're about all this prosperity gospel. You just want my money. Well, don't worry. I don't work on commission, so sit back, relax. I don't want your money. Okay, And second of all, like you, I don't like prosperity gospel either. In fact, I hate it as more than you do probably because the prosperity gospel is really not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not about you giving something to God. It's quite the opposite. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about God giving something to you. It's about God giving you eternal life and you receiving freely this gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ who came to die on your behalf. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not about what you do for God. It's not about what you give to God, but more so about what God has done for you through Jesus that you just simply receive by faith, by just believing in Him. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ that we preach in this church, all right? Having said that, I believe it is God's will for you not to be in any bondage, including financial bondage. All right? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is about freedom. Not just freedom from sin, freedom from any bondage. And that's why I believe this morning, I want to tell you that God's will for you is for you to have financial freedom because you're not supposed to be in any kind of bondage. And by financial freedom, I don't mean you're going to have so much money that you can stop working and retire young because financial freedom is not about that, although a lot of people think that, right? The more money you have, the happier you will be. But you heard what people say, money won't make you happy. I know you don't believe me. I remember hearing that phrase for the first time. A pastor said, money won't make you happy. And I thought to myself, try me. All right? Where do I sign up? I want to prove that theory for myself. Thank you very much. But we, we don't believe it, but it's true, isn't it? I mean, you know people who are rich and are happy, but you also know people who are rich and are not happy. Conversely, you know people who are poor and miserable, but you also know people who are poor and very, very content and very, very 
happy. You see, money has got nothing to do with your financial freedom because financial freedom has a lot to do with the kind of relationship that you have with your money. And I can tell you right now, for most people, they don't have a healthy relationship with their finance, with their money, whether they're rich or they're poor. A lot of poor people are enslaved because of lack of money. It causes strife, anxiety, worries, right? Because they never have enough. But Rich people are also enslaved to their finance, to their money, because they just want to keep having more and more. So a lot of people are not really in a healthy relationship with their finance, with their money. You see, money will not make you happy, all right? That is not the reason for your financial uh, freedom. The financial guru, Dave Ramsey, says, money won't make you happy. It will just make you more of what you already are. You see? If you are miserable and you get money, you'll be lots more miserable. If you are a jerk and you get money, you'll be a bigger jerk, right? But if you are generous and then you have money, you'll be amazingly generous. You will spend a lot of your money and you will be happy doing it because money will make you more of what you already are. That's why... I want to share this morning something that will hopefully free you from all the anxiety and worries related to your finance. I believe God's will for you is to, to have true financial freedom, right? So whether you are rich or poor this morning, whether you're old or young, I want you to lean in and pay attention because I believe there's a word for everybody here this morning. In fact, if you are young, right, if you're a young person, uh, like when I, when I was 17, 18 or whatever, when I started working, I wish somebody had this conversation with me early on so that I will not have all these problems that I have with money. Yeah, I used to be very stingy. I used to waste a lot of money. And if I had somebody that, that spoke into my life what I'm speaking to you now, man, I would be in so much better space. But it's not too late, right? Whoever you are, lean in because I believe God wants to speak to you. The bottom line is very simple. If you want to be wise with your money, with your finance, you need to plan your spending. Notice I didn't say budget your spending because I know there are two kinds of people in the world. One, people who love budgeting. I don't understand you. And two, people who literally fall sick even at the sound of the word budgeting. Right? Actually, I want to know. How many of you love budgeting? Raise your hand. You love budgeting? Yeah, a few hands. How many of you like, want to vomit at the word of the word budgeting, raise your hand. Okay. And uh, the, the interesting is, the interesting thing is, these people are usually married to each other, right? So that's why we have a lot of problems in, in marriage. But our very own Tim Healy said something really wise sometime last year. He said, don't use the word budget because budget sounds old and restrictive, right? Instead, use the word spending plan. Isn't that more beautiful? <laughs> You're going to have a spending plan. Got, who doesn't want to plan their spending? Woohoo! Let's plan our spending, baby. So that's what you need to use because it is actually what it is. It is important, though, for you to actually plan. Listen to this proverb. Plan carefully and you will have plenty. But if you act too quickly, you will never have enough. The key word here is carefully. A lot of people are not careful with their money. They don't know where their money is going. And when that happens, we call it impulse buying, right? How many of you have been to the supermarket with five things on your grocery list and you go home with 25 items? 
And usually they consist of chips, soda, and chocolate, right? Or is it just me? <laughs> but we call it impulse buying. But guess what? For a lot of people, they don't just impulse buy at the supermarket. They impulse buy in buying a car, going on holiday, right? Buying stuff that they don't really need. So beware of impulse buying. So you need to plan carefully. Planning your spending simply means you're telling your money where it should go, right? And the principle is very simple. I want to teach you something very, very simple that is so powerful, so practicable, you can even teach it to your children. And this is what you need to do if you're new to, the, to this area. Do this. Give first, save or invest second, and live on the rest, okay? Sounds simple, but anybody can do it, right? You can teach it to your children, have three jars at home, the giving jar, the saving jar, and, uh, and the living jar. But 90% of the people, according to statistics, don't know how to do this, even though it's very simple. This is what average people do. They live on whatever they earn first, and if they have something left over, then they save, and if they still have something left over, then they give. No wonder people don't have healthy relationship with their money. No wonder there's a lot of anxiety over money because they don't think they can even live comfortably enough with whatever they're earning, right? So how can you give first, save second, and live on the rest when you can't even live on 100%? But I'm telling you, you can, right? A lot of people, they, they spend more than they earn. So they, because they want more, you see? Uh, well, how do I do it, Daniel? Let's say I, I, I give 10% and, and save 10% and live on the 80%. How can I live on the 80% when I can't live on 100%? Yeah. How can I get my new TV? How can I buy a new car? How do I go on holiday if I can't even live on 100%? And you're telling me to live on the 80%. Well, for a lot of people, you know what they do? If they can't live on 80% or 100%, they borrow. They go in debt. And this is a sobering statistics for you. Three in four Australians had debt in 2019, 2020. This is according to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, right? The average Aussies currently has, excluding home loans, over $20,000 of personal debt, including credit card debts, personal loans, and retail installment plans. More than $20,000 in debt on top of their home loan. See, this is the first principle for you to take home. Never go into debt, especially for something that will depreciate in value. Never, ever go into debt. Listen to this proverb. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. You think you have power with your money because you can borrow more. No, the more you borrow, the more you are slave to your lender. Why? Not only... Do you buy a depreciating asset, but you're also paying compound interest on top of it, right? The magic of compound interest. If you are the lender, compound interest will make you a lot of money. But if you are a borrower, compound interest will kill you, okay? If you do follow course with me, with us, I teach in follow. If you just put $100 extra into your home loan, we're talking about average home loan, okay? If you just put $100 extra into your home loan, guess what's going to happen? You're going to shave the life of your home loan by seven years, by seven years. So if you have a 30-year home loan, just by paying $100 extra, you will reduce the length of that home loan to 23 years. Why? The magic of compound interest, baby, right? So be 
careful that you don't spend or even borrow money on something that will depreciate in value. See, a lot of people know this. This is not rocket science. But why do most people still do it? The answer is greed. So beware of greed. Listen to this proverb. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know. To know when to quit. In other words, be wise enough to know when enough is enough. Why? Because in the blink of an eye, wealth disappears, for it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. Maybe the famous Russian author, 19th century author, Leo Tolstoy, know of this proverb when he wrote his short story about a farmer who was not satisfied with his land. He wanted to have more and more land. So he strikes a deal where uh, he could for cheap, get as much land as possible uh, that he can walk around in one day, okay? The only catch is he needs to go back to the starting position by sundown or he will lose his money and the land. So he is very excited. The next morning, he got up early at sunrise and he started walking fast, because he wanted to have as much land as possible, right? So he was walking fast, he was running at times, and then it was midday, and when it was midday, he was supposed to go back to his starting point, or otherwise he would lose everything, right? But because of his greediness, he thought he could do more. So he started walking even faster, going further and further away from his starting point. Before he knew it, it was mid-afternoon, and he was in shock, he said, Man, I gotta run back home, otherwise I'll lose my money. So he started running, he was, you know, puffing and, 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 and his chest was pounding. And then he just kept running, even though he was gonna die already, but he just kept doing it because he didn't wanna lose anything. And then finally, just before sundown, he crossed that finish line, right? But within a few minutes, he collapsed and died. So his servant had to dig him a hole, two meter by one meter. The title of Tolstoy's short story is How Much Land Does a Man Need? How much land does a man need? Let me tell you, this much, right? Whether you are rich or poor, right? Listen to this proverb. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. The Apostle Paul said to Timothy, For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. So be very careful that you're not overcome by greed. At the end of the day, we're going to end up needing the same amount of space. All the toys that we collect, we have to leave behind. That's just a reality for everybody. I came across this really nice thought a few days ago. Imagine this with me. In 100 years, that means in the year 2123, we will all be dead and buried with our relatives and friends, right? Strangers. We live in your homes that you fought so hard to build. The car that you spend a, a lot of money on will probably be scrapped, all right? And this is the most sobering fact of all. Your descendants will hardly know who you were, nor will they remember you. After you die, maybe they will remember you for a few years. After that, you will be just a photograph on someone's cabinet, right? A few years after that, your name what you've accomplished will be all gone, lost into the history oblivion, right? That's a sobering thought. How many of you know your great-grandfather or know your great-grandmother, right? You don't even know their name, some of you. That's the reality of 
everybody. That's why Jesus said, beware. Guard yourself against every kind of greed. See, greed is not just about money. It can be about power, relationship, whatever. So be on your guard against every kind of greed. And this is the most important part, what Jesus said. Life is not measured by how much you own. In other words, your self-worth should never be tied to your net worth. You see, you're not worth a lot because you own a lot. You're worth a lot because you belong to your heavenly Father. You're worth a lot because you are made in His image and He loves you like nobody else loves you. That's why you are worth a lot. That's why to combat against greed, you've got to have what we call contentment. You've got to learn to be content. You see, a lot of people don't like the word contentment because they think it means settling, you know, you're settling for less. But that's not true. Contentment is not an excuse for settling for less. It's about finding joy in your current circumstances while you're working towards your goal. I mean, you know this, right? Some of the happiest people that you met are not necessarily the most rich, you know, the richest people. Some of the most, some of the happiest people that you met are the most content people, is it not? That's why learn to be content. So that's how you can live on the rest. If you apply this principle, you learn to be content, you are weary of greed, right? And you don't spend or even borrow more than what you can afford, you'll be surprised how little you can live on. You can live on 70% of what you are earning right now. You can live on 60%. I guarantee you, if you just learn to be content, you're not greedy, and you don't borrow and kill yourself to death by paying compound interest. So that's how you can live on the rest. Now let's talk about save or invest. That's the second thing you've got to do, all right? Listen to this proverb. A wise man saves for the future, but the foolish spend whatever they get. Dave Ramsey again says, you got to save for rainy days because rainy days will happen. And people complain to Dave Ramsey saying, why can't you be more positive, Dave Ramsey? And Dave Ramsey says, all right, I'm positive there will be rainy days. Okay? There will be rainy days. Your tires will blow. You know, your house needs fixing or whatever. So you got to save up for rainy days. But not only that, you got to start investing as well. Don't just work for money. Make sure your money worked for you. Even Jesus said this. Remember in the parable of the... Uh, the talents, the master gave his three servants, five talents, two talents, and one talent. And the person with one talent buried the talent on the ground. And the master came back. And what did the master say? You wicked and lazy servant. At the very least, what should he have done? Invest your money in a bank and earn interest, right? At the very least. I came to, uh, my wife and I went to the ComBank this week. And we were shocked there was actually an account that you can open at ComBank that can earn you 4% interest. And it's not even a term deposit. Do you know that? You know, you got to be smart about your money. Don't spend it all. you got to save not only for rainy day, but make sure your money works for you. I'm not going to give you financial advice. You seek your own financial advice. I'm sure you know people who are well-versed and expert in the area. So, but you got to do it, okay? So that's the second part. Now, we're going to move on to the first part. Give first. That's what you got to do. Don't do it in the reverse order. Because if you do it in the reverse order, if you live on whatever you earn, most likely you're not going to have enough to save. Most likely, even worse, you're not going to have anything to give. Even though I believe 
You have been created by God to be generous because you are created in His image and our God is a generous God. I believe many of you, you would like to give. You would like to share, but you cannot because you just can't afford it. You spend everything on yourself. You don't even have enough to save for yourself. You see, I believe it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. It doesn't matter if you're a Christ follower or not. It is inbuilt in every single one of us to actually want to give. That's where you get prosperity for your soul. That's where you will find satisfaction with your life instead of being greedy and just consume everything for yourself because you're not created that way. So if you're still wondering, like, if I'm just duping you into giving to church, I don't care if you give to church. Actually, give to your favorite charity. But you just, for your own sake at least, learn to give, learn to share you will live a much better life. You will find more satisfaction than, than you could ever get in buying more and more stuff for yourself, right? But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, I want you to give, not just for the altruistic reason. I want you to give not just because it's good to give. I want you to give because this is important. I want you to give because that's how you honor God. You want to honor God with your whole life, including your finance. Listen to this proverb. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Bottom line is, it's about honoring God, right, with our lives. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the best part of everything that you produce. And guess what's going to happen? Then He will fill your barns with grains and your vats will overflow with good wine. You see, your money will reveal to you, or how you spend your money, rather, will reveal to you the level of devotion you have to God, right? You can say whatever you want about your relationship with God. You can say, oh, God is number one in my life. But if your giving doesn't reflect it, if your giving doesn't honor God, man, that's just a lip service, right? Here's a sobering statement. You can't put God last in your budget and claim that He is first in your life. That's just impossible. That's like, no, <laughs> you can't do that, right? See, giving is a spiritual discipline on par with serving, with um, you know, telling people about Jesus with praying and everything else. The Apostle Paul says, just as you excel in everything else, make sure you also excel in the grace of giving. You see, this is the promise. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. This is just a principle that God has placed in our universe. doesn't matter if you're an atheist or you're a Christian or a Hindu. You know, this principle is at work. We Christians call it the law of sowing and reaping. The Hindus call it um, karma, right? Uh, other people call it what goes around comes around. That's the same principle. It's a universal principle that God has put in place. A generous person will prosper and not necessarily financially prosperous, I believe God is talking about prosperity in the, in the most fullest sense, all right? You will, your life will prosper. Your soul, your spirit will prosper. Your relationship will prosper when you are generous. Sometimes it includes financial prosperity as well, but I believe it goes beyond that, all right? That's why I want to encourage you to give because you will find more satisfaction in giving than in um, getting, right? It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, if you're still with me up until this point and you're asking me, so what shall I do, Daniel? Like, I want to start doing this now. Can you recommend me like a percentage how I should split this up? Well, uh, this is my recommendation. How about you give 10%, you save 10%, and you live on the 
try that as a beginning point. All right? Uh, now, uh, giving 10%, that's widely taught in churches, right? We call it tithing. But it's, I believe it's an Old Testament principle. The New Testament principle of giving is you give cheerfully, you give sacrificially, right? That's the New Testament principle. You give uh, secretly. Uh, but the Bible never actually mentioned the actual amount, right? But in keeping with your income, the Apostle Paul says, that means set aside a certain percentage to give, okay? Now, some of you might say to me, oh, that's a good idea, but I don't think I can give 10%. You know, I can barely, I want to start doing it, but what do I do if I can't give 10%? Well, I usually tell people, then get out of church. No, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> don't be too serious. Of course, I didn't say that. I tell people the same way when people ask me, hey, pastor, I can't pray for 15 minutes. What do I do? What do I say? Then don't pray at all then if you can't pray for 15 minutes. No, of course I don't say that. Then how long can you pray? One minute? Two minutes? Then, you know, do whatever you can, right? It's the same thing with giving. If you can't give 10%, give 1%. Give 2%. Give half a percent. I don't care, but start giving. Because you are created, again, to be generous because you are created in the image of God. And you will find that spirit of generosity will be activated in your life when you start giving. Suddenly, 1% becomes 2%. Suddenly, 2% becomes 3%, becomes 4%. And suddenly, you find yourself being so generous and you enjoy yourself doing it. You find satisfaction in doing it. That's why it is important for you to start giving, start somewhere, because you have been created to be generous by God. But be very careful though, right? You don't use generosity as a tactic or strategy to get more from God, okay? I'm going to go against every TV preacher that you have ever heard in your life, okay? Don't give in order to get something from God. Don't strong arm God. Don't twist the arm of God. And say, oh God, see, I give this. You better give me a hundredfold. You know, there are times in my life where I've been generous and God uh, is generous to me. But there has been time in my life as well where I've not been generous and God is still generous to me. How about that? Have you experienced that? And sometimes I was generous and then suddenly I had a lot of unexpected spending. My tires blew and like, what is that? You know, I thought when I give, God will give me back a uh, hundredfold. No, not necessarily. All right? So you give, you are generous because God has already been generous to you. If you wonder how much God has been generous to you, just look to the cross 2,000 years ago. He gave you his one and only son, the darling of heaven. He gave to you. That's why if, it, if God doesn't give you anything else from this point forward, you still want to be generous because he has been so, so generous to you, okay? Now, with the remainder of the time that I have, I want to talk to you about how Jesus sees your money because this is important. I used to not get this, all right? I used to think that money is neutral. But money, according to Jesus, is not neutral, right? Money has a stronghold. Money is like a principality. Listen to what Jesus says. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. And listen to this part. You cannot. It's not, it's going to be very difficult, but you can still do it. No, you cannot serve both God and money. Why? 
because Jesus didn't see money as neutral. Money is a spiritual power that pulls you. Money is a spiritual power that draws you. So Jesus is not, money to Jesus is not a neutral thing. Money is a rival God that demands your allegiance. It demands your time. Money demands your energy. It demands your whole life. Money makes you promises that it can't keep, right? Money will lie to you, telling you, hey, if you have more of me, you will be happier. Hey, come on, come to me, and you will not worry about anything else in your life. You see, money is not neutral. It has a, a stronghold. It has a pulling power. I remember one time I was walking uh, somewhere, and then I saw a dollar on the floor. I don't need that dollar, but somehow that money talked to me. Come get me. So I did. I come and get the money and put it in my pocket. What I was doing? Right? The money talked to me. That's what money does for you. It lies to you, telling you, hey, if you have more of me, you will have no worries in your life. It's a lie. That's why at the very next verse, now this is verse 25, right? I mean, this is verse uh, 24. In the, the next verse, Jesus says, after he says you cannot serve both God and money because money is an alternative God, he says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink, but your body, what you will wear. Is life not more important than food, body more important than clothes? See, Jesus knew that we tend to worry over this stuff, you see? But God is your heavenly Father. He loves you. See, what money can't do for you, God can. And then Jesus gave an example. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Look at the seagulls of Fremantle. Those flying rats. God feed the seagulls of Fremantle. Think about that. Yesterday I was having lunch with my son. This is a true story. Right? I had lunch, I had burgers with my son, and these seagulls came to us like in bunches. And Jade was like, he was panicky, like, oh, bloody birds. Like, and then I said to Jaden, hey Jaden, God loves these seagulls. Maybe God wants us to give them some chips. I don't know. Maybe that's God's way of providing for the seagulls. The point is, God loves the seagulls, the flying rats. How much more does He love you? Think about that. In philosophy, we call it the argument from the lesser to the greater. If God loves the lesser, the seagulls, we are the more. How much more? Because you are his children, does he love you? All right? And if you ask me, if you're a follower of Jesus, where should I give? My recommendation is give to your local church. Because Jesus promised that he's going to build his church. Church is not a building. Church is people. All right? In this church, if you've been with us for a while, you know that a lot of people here are so generous. Last year, in one Sunday, through our Be Rich campaign, we give away close to $50,000 in one Sunday. We can do a lot of things, right? Here in the city, in our community, even worldwide, whenever there was a disaster, we were the first who sent money. That's because people are generous. That's because we are faithful, or we try to be faithful in following God's call to be light and salt in our community. That means we be there for them, right? We serve them. That's why I want to encourage you, if you have not started giving regularly, maybe you've been giving, like Derek said, you've been giving sporadically. You only give when your heart is moved, when you see a, 
photo of poor children in Africa, then you start giving. Or you give whenever you have money. If you have, you give. If you don't have, you don't give. You can do better than that, all right? That kind of giving, we call it giving 1.0. But giving 2.0 is when you plan your giving. You give first. Set aside the percentage. Doesn't have to be 10. Can be 1, 2, like I said. And for those of you who've been giving 10%, why are you stuck with 10%? I know some of you can give 15 or 20 or more, uh, but you're so stuck with the law, with tithing, that you are blinded to the possibility of you blessing even more people, right? Because you're stuck with the 10%. But set aside a percentage for your giving. Set aside another percentage for your saving and investing. And then you live on the rest. And I guarantee you, right? God promised that your soul will prosper. Your relationship with your finance will be better than ever before. You will not be in anxiety anymore. You will not worry anymore. And you will have this trust and confidence. You will have this, this compassion on people. You have contentment that you have never had before simply because you plan your spending. You tell your money where it should go instead of money telling you where you should go. All right? That's all from me. Come back next week as we continue part three with our series, The Way of the Wise. Why don't you stand up on your feet right now? It is a custom in our church to be dismissed by receiving a prayer of blessing. If you're comfortable and you have the faith to receive it, why don't you open your hands as a sign of our dependence on God. And after the prayer of blessing, our prayer leaders will be standing here. They would love to pray with you and for you. We are your family. You don't have to struggle alone. We want to intercede on your behalf, all right? So please come after the prayer of blessing. But right now, why don't you open your hands and receive God's blessing. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more great resources and to keep yourself up to date, head to our website. Visit therocks.church.